Hello and welcome to episode 12 of our MEP Life with me, Caroline Voden, MEP for the southwest of England and Gibraltar. And I'm Judith Bunting and I'm MEP for the south-east of England, which goes all the way from Kent, across through Surrey and Sussex, across through underneath the M25, south of England. Hungerford is the westernmost point and it goes all the way up to Oxford and Buckinghamshire, so pretty big area and hard to define. That's a bit like a ring around the south of London. Yes, we're circling London. Okay. Well, mine's absolutely ridiculously massive. I'm not sure where the east end of my constituency is, but... I think you go as far as Swindon, don't you? Well, I go as far as Swindon. On the coast, I know that Bournemouth is part of it. I've been to Bournemouth many times. I'm not sure how far beyond that it goes. Up to Tewkesbury, down to Penzance. And Land's End. And Land's End. And the Scilly Isles. and And Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Yeah, so anyway, thank you very much for listening to our MEP Life. It's really good to see that our listener numbers are growing and people are enjoying the podcast. And we have been looking at our analytics and we just thought you might like to know that we have listeners in Argentina, Lebanon (laughs) and Singapore. (laughs) Hello to Argentina. Hello, Lebanon. We may have a friend who's on holiday. I I don't know, but... Yeah, well, it's fantastic. If you are that listener, then please write to us and let us know who you are and how (laughs) come you're listening to us. Um, And to the people closer to home, we love your listening as well. And please share this with your friend. It's great when you guys all like us on Twitter and so on, but please share if you you have the patience to or if you think it suits and might please your followers Um, because sharing is caring and that's how we get the message out and that's how we let more people know what really goes on in Europe and what MEPs are doing for their living, um, rather than just having to depend on the headlines. I was quite astonished to see somebody say that they had binge listened to every episode from the beginning. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. They deserve a prize. They do, yes. Oh, so so what's happening today, Caroline? What's happening today? Um, Well, the reason I'm still in Brussels on a Thursday lunchtime, because normally I would have gone home by now, is... That this afternoon I have a constitutive meeting for the EU delegation to the Arab Peninsula. And I am going to be the first vice president on the delegation to the Arab Peninsula, which all sounds a bit posh. But what that means is the EU tries to build relations with third countries all over the world. So they have delegations that go to different parts of the world. And I'm on the Arab Peninsula delegation, which means I get to deal with all sorts of interesting countries like Yemen and Saudi and Bahrain and United Arab Emirates. And I think the president of the delegation is going to be a woman from the German Green Party. So I'm really hoping that together we might be able to do some interesting stuff on human rights. But um, we'll see. But last night I got in the mood. It was Saudi Arabia's National Day. So I went to a reception at the Saudi embassy. And it was quite an interesting reception because I didn't know a soul there. A couple of people I tried to speak to didn't speak anything but French. So I managed with that. Um, A lavish buffet, Mm -hmm. some very strange music and water to drink. Well, it would be. It would make sense. That makes sense. So it was quite interesting as receptions go. Yeah, very good, very good. And what was the food like? What's, what, what food was amazing. They had loads terrific. of sort of grilled meats and carving kebabs and lots of hummus and uh, flatbreads and parsley and tomato, all that kind of stuff oh, that gorgeous. I love. And baklava, which was great. I love baklava. So okay. it was a bit of a voyage of discovery, really. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to 
I'm on the Korean delegation. We're not constituting anything for a week or two. Okay. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to finding out more about that. I don't know whether... Well, I mean... Which Korea is it? I believe it's both. Wow. I keep asking people, but I believe it's both. I'm not sure we talk to North Korea much, but I believe it's both. And... Um, yeah, that's one where I would just love to be able to go and, and go, go visit and find yeah. out what it's like. I mean, my understanding from a few years ago is that South Korea was actually really advanced in terms of public Wi-Fi because people couldn't have it at home. So there, it was provided in towns and villages and mm. cafes and things. But I don't know. I could be massively out of date. I would love to find out. i will be great to go. I've got a friend who lived in Korea for years and absolutely loved it. Oh. Well, that's yeah. good. Anyway, so, hey, these are, this is work. It's fun, but it's work. And um, it is important. One has to remind oneself that it is important. Basically, um, the EU has ambassadors to the EU from most countries, and the EU has ambassadors in most countries. Mm. So um, it's keeping up that dialogue. And it's all cultural exchange and Trading exchange. It's about trade. And, and I've been told that, you know, the, the Saudi, the Arabian Peninsula delegation, we can either look at energy issues or we can look at trade or we can look at economy, we can look at environmental issues and we can look at human rights. People in the delegation have different interests and they look at different areas, but it is a cultural ambassadorial role and, and raising standards in other parts of the world oh, yeah. in all sorts of areas, you know, being a, a voice of, of quality, all of yes. that stuff. And what yes. have you been up to this week? Well, the week began, gosh, we had a briefing from the commissioner, Malmström, and that, that was interesting for me because she was just talking about, you know, foreign relations and, um, and how you can use trade to get leverage on a country. And there's a lot of discussion at the moment about the Mercosur agreement, which is between the EU and um, Latin America, which is what, Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay, I think? I think so, yeah. I think so. And... What she was discussing was how forming a trade agreement is a way of using EU pressure to get better standards of protecting the Amazon, protecting the indigenous people who live in the Amazon, um, protecting, protecting the environment and the wildlife across mm. Brazil and Argentina and and. This is important. Now, whether the balance is right yet, I, who so am this I to is, say? But... This is the big discussion, isn't it? Because yeah. the Greens would say, let's not sign Mercosur. Let's not sign the trade agreement because that will put pressure on Brazil to mm. stop burning the Amazon down. Whereas other people might say, actually, we need to negotiate this trade deal because that's the way we force their hand because they yes. want the trade deal. So we, we negotiate it, but we put conditions on it. Yeah. And that's um, what Malmström was saying, because she said, at the moment, we trade under WTO rules. Um, and she said, we have no leverage whatsoever. You know, mm. if that's how it's going to stay, then nothing we say makes any difference. Whereas if we negotiate the trade agreement, we can we can put pressure on them. So we'll see where mm. that one goes. Um, but yeah, I found that very interesting. Um, this week in... We're back in Brussels again, which is nice. It's starting to feel like home in some yeah. sense, which is good. And I have to say mine's been quite a, a cheerful week because I've been doing a lot of culture things. Um, so I've been meeting the authors and talking about the Creative Copyright Directive, which got passed in the last parliament. And my, that sounds like it was fun. Oh, I wish I'd been involved in that debate. I really do. But it all came out the right way. And last night I was with the um, uh, uh, 
a society that represents, um, they call them authors over here, but for us it would be creators. So it includes authors, but also musicians and songwriters and, um, and film directors and so on. And it's about how to protect copyright online. And it was a, really was a celebration because things went in the right direction last year. And, and this particular group, um, it was an inter-MEP group, so cross-party MEPs working together. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to joining that group and being part of that. Uh, yeah, so so I've been doing kind of cultural things this week, which is nice, quite pleasant. What about you? We've had a lot of environment committee meetings this week, and I have had to get my head round um, legislation, um, extending legislation to allow sixty three or sixty nine different chemicals to be permitted in the European Union, and legislation on genetically modified Ooh, organisms. Yes, and it's been really complicated, and these are things that have kind of were dealt with in the last mandate, and are, are still churning through the statute books. and And it's hard, you know, to to, to understand it all. Anyway, so that was the Environment Committee this week. But let's have a quick chat about what's going on back home because oh, it's been wow. another momentous week in Westminster and, and beyond. And how fantastic. That Supreme Court ruling, it was so clear. It was unanimous. They were Their language was unequivocal. Mm. What a total pleasure. But I'm going to come back to a hobby horse here. And that is, this is not the legal system and the establishment against the people. I shouldn't even say that. This is the legal system and the the system of rules in the UK that keeps us a civilised, equal and um, free society sticking up for Parliament. And Parliament is the voice of Mm, the people. Absolutely. So Boris Johnson should resign. It is not reasonable that someone can lose this many votes and have so much of the weight of the country stacked against him and just go, I don't care. Well, it's it's not only that, is it? He broke the law. He broke the law. And we've got a prime minister who broke the law. He should not be prime minister. And I think, you know, if there was any doubt about it before, then that all doubt should have gone last night when he gave that abhorrent performance in the House of Commons. It was just appalling. And women MPs saying that they're receiving death threats. People's children are being threatened and they ask him to tone down his language and he just turns around and says, that's uh, that's just humbug. I mean, the arrogance of it. I I was furious. And, you know, it's setting a tone for debate in our country, which is just going down and down and down. He doesn't even see it's happening. He's so arrogant. He's so misogynistic. What it also reminds me of was teenagers learning to debate. So what they do is they debate with the words. They don't worry about the principles and the actual meaning of what's being said. So he's not taking those women and those threats seriously. What he's doing is arguing with the words and he's just trying to be amusing about it. And that is deeply disappointing in a prime minister. Absolutely. And the Queen, of course. So he led the Queen into supporting something which was against the law. Yes, I'd, be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall on their next weekly meeting. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we've had Labour Party conference, Judith. Oh, what a joy. What, what did a... you make of that? Well, I was surprised. I mean, this was an open goal for Labour. An absolute open goal. <laughs> and they managed to, I don't know how many fouls they committed within the box. I, I mean, <laughs> truly, truly awful. So... How do they manage to fight with each other quite so vigorously? Well, before it even began, really, they'd said they were going to 
NEC wanted to get rid of Tom Watson's post. So that started it off badly. And getting rid of the Labour students. What's that all about? I thought the students were the people who went out and won elections for them by delivering their leaflets. But I think what I found most astonishing was shocking, really, was to watch that vote on the floor of the of the conference and to have it announced one way and then overturned. And some people have said that actually, if you're sitting on the stage, you get a much clearer view of the floor. So perhaps the television pictures weren't weren't that obvious but it looked to me like they should really have counted that vote it didn't look clear at all well and also if the person who is sitting on the stage thinks it goes one way and then has changed her mind because she's looked again then it suggests it wasn't that clear Mm. just i think she changed her mind because someone told her she'd changed her mind yes absolutely but no so it, it did make me just think i'm so proud of the lib dems at the moment i mean just i'm sorry you don't want hubris do you and we don't want to be smug but blimey our conference was open people don't all agree with each other mm. but they respect each other's point of view and i'm repeating what i said another time but speaking to those mps and their 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 family and their colleagues who have come over to the Liberal Democrats and hearing them on both sides talk about how much they have disliked dealing and and being at their respective party conferences in the past few years Mm. because they feel watched. It's just... I believe not like that. No. I was chatting to a guy who, a businessman who, um, sort of family friend, who has to go to all the conferences every year for work. He works for a computer software provider. I won't say the name. Um, and he said that actually he's always enjoyed the Lib Dem conference the most. And, and that he says the level of debate is the best at the Lib Dem conference. There isn't really a debate at the Tory conference. Um, lots of grandstanding speeches. So it be interesting to see whether there is a Tory conference this weekend. Absolutely. And will they be ma- allowed to go? Will they be allowed to go? And I mean, they could hold it without the MPs, I guess, or the MPs could skip Parliament. I think that's probably what they'll do. Yeah. I wonder whether the rest of the House will sit when the Tories are away. I mean, what well, happens the, now? Absolutely you would. I mean, we've just fought to get Parliament back in. You don't just absent your absent yourself because Mm. the other guys are at conference but yeah so the fabulous fabulous we talked about supreme court but the result of that is that parliament came back and sat again on wednesday when it was supposed to have been shut down until the 14th of october Mm. so that's another three weeks of two and a half weeks of debate and democracy which and who knows who knows what that will result in yes so, Caroline, what do you think is going to happen next? Oh, goodness. Well, honestly, I have no idea. But I, what, I, what I see playing out in the House of Commons is that the opposition are waiting for Boris Johnson to, to ask the EU27 for an extension in order to have a general election or a referendum. And until that happens, there won't be a vote of no confidence in him because there isn't any trust that he won't crash the crash Britain out of the EU without a deal on the 31st of October if the House is not sitting because we're in a general election period. So I think we've got two or three more weeks of nail-biting agony to go through before before we know what's happening. Well, Um, we've also got still the Queen's speech coming on October the 14th. But is there going to be a Queen's speech? Because you have to prorogue before a Queen's speech. So might he now have to prorogue for two or three days? For the Queen's speech. That's the way... It, well, like, that's the precedent. That's what normally happens. But he has... Per, well, he closes yes. Parliament. So yes. you close one sitting of Parliament, you have a few days off, and then you reopen it with the Queen. With the Queen. Whereas what the ruling 
Lady Hale with her fantastic spider brooch said the other day is Parliament has not been prorogued. Ah, okay. So even the days that have passed do not. Get it was not a prorogation because it was unlawful. So was it holiday? What it was Alice in Wonderland. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you may have thought it happened, but it didn't. But it happen. really didn't. It really didn't. I'm yeah. just bringing up a diagram here. Sorry, forgive me. I'm now scrolling through my Twitter feed on air. Here we go. So here is. A rather wonderful diagram. Oh, my goodness. We're not going to read that out on No, it. we're not going to read all of it. <laughs> if you would like to look we'll at it... We'll be here till tea time. Please go on to my Twitter feed. But this is from a bloke called John Worth, and he creates wonderful um, uh, diagrams of what could possibly happen next. And what I love here <gasps> is that he gives the line width, or, or the lines, a width according to the percentage chance of this thing happening. So he reckons that there is a 1% chance of a no deal by the 31st of October, a 3% chance that Article 50 is revoked, a 1% chance of Brexit with a deal, but an 88% chance of a general election before the end of 2019. Okay. And that is massively more than a 7% chance for a second referendum sometime next year. Okay. And that's surprising. That's a really... That, I'm just looking over... Uh, on Judith's side of the desk. And that is a really, really good diagram. So go yeah. on her Twitter feed, Judith Bunting LD. And, and it is it is fascinating. Right. And it is slightly distressing because, OK, there's a bit of me that doesn't think that Boris Johnson will ask for the... Uh, ask for an extension. He doesn't want to. No, but I'm not sure that if we don't have the leverage of the fact that he must, mm. I don't see that... Well, I think he's I think he's going to have to one way or the other. So this weekend I went out and met another couple of local groups again and there were both really interesting visits and the first was in Newbury. So I know the people in Newbury really, really well. I used to be a candidate there um, and they're a fantastic team and I want to put a plug in here for Lee Dillon who has been a councillor since he was 19 and is now, um, I mean, he's now, he's got three kids and he's much older than 19. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be very personal here but he is the most brilliant councillor I have ever seen in action and I think that he would be a fabulous um, MP. Where's he standing for? He's standing for Newbury and Newbury, it's called Newbury constituency but it covers two thirds of West Berkshire okay. so it's all the rural areas as well as Newbury and Thatcham mm -hmm. which are the, the conurbations um, but they are they're market towns, they're not conurbations. It also covers the uh, it also covers Newbury and Thatcham, which are the two towns at the heart of the constituency. But Newbury being Newbury, they put a little twist on this. So we had a march for democracy, but they put it on the um, date of the first battle of the uh, Battle of Newbury. Um, so harking all the way back to the Cavaliers and Roundheads. Oh, I mean, brilliant. I, I just thought it is so Newbury. And did they have people dressed up as Cavaliers and Sadly not, oh, but I think maybe they save that for next time because there was a second yeah. Battle of Newbury, so... We may have to have a second march. But the second visit was a more normal action day, Lib Dem action day. But how fabulous. I went out to Wokingham. Wokingham has never been anywhere close to having Lib Dem representation mm. for years and years. John, it's John Redwood's seat. He's been there since the Thatcher era. And suddenly... Um, Wokingham is extremely Remain. And the Lib Dems won there uh, during the Euros. 
And the data that they get from going door to door and doing surveys is coming out very, very strongly in favour of Remain. So suddenly this fabulous bunch of activists have found themselves um, right at the heart of Lib Dem action. And so all credit to Wokingham and every other constituency like that. Go team, you know, keep that work up. It's well worth it. Oh, definitely. And one of the best tweets I've read in the last few days was from Laura Gordon, who's our brilliant candidate for Sheffield Hallam, trying to win back Nick Clegg's seat. And she said, there are good canvassing sessions, there are great canvassing sessions, and then there are canvassing sessions where you start wondering if you're on a candid camera show and everyone is an actor because it's too good to be real. Today was one of those. It is extreme. Yeah, and this is why we're not depressed by Brexit because when we go out and our, our colleagues go out and knock on doors, we are getting amazingly positive responses in parts of the world where people don't usually... You know, certainly where I've done it, you know, these are people who wouldn't normally talk to a Lib Dem, yeah. but now they all remain. And I'm heading to Penzance tomorrow night for a question time type panel thing Very to good. which the Brexit party are coming along to, which they don't normally do. So that's going to be really interesting because Cornwall is just the most confusing place. You know, Cornwall, which has had millions and millions and millions of pounds of investment from the EU and where they, they say in Cornwall for every one pound a Cornish person gives to the EU, they get 10 back in grants and funding. And, you know, there's thousands and thousands of jobs in Cornwall that are directly related to EU investment. And people don't even know that. But they voted to leave. And there is still a really strong leave vote in Cornwall. And, you know, so untangling what's behind that is really complicated. Yes. And, and a lot of it is to do with um, a sort of wealth disparity. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I really want us to start addressing is that people say that we're a divided country between leave and remain. But I think the much bigger and much more dangerous divide in our country is the wealth divide. Oh, wow, yes. From the really, really wealthy and to the really, really poor. And, of course, you don't see that anywhere as clearly as you do in Cornwall, where people have come in from the southeast with their, you know, they've made so much money in business or law or whatever they've been doing, and they come down to Cornwall and they buy themselves an amazing house and it's near the beach, it's fabulous. And then you've got, you know, whole areas where there's no unemployment or there is unemployment, but it's seasonal and it's poorly paid and there's no prospects and people are working full time and still can't afford um you know a reasonable standard of living and so i mean this wealth disparity in cornwall is massive and and you know i i think that was part of it we we could spend a whole episode talking about cornwall and and the and the brexit vote well but we tomorrow sh- night will be an interesting Sorry. it'll be an interesting question time and i shall report back next week on how it went and what the fla- what the the feeling of the audience was because i don't know how it's going to be i don't know whether people are going to come along who are supportive of still want Brexit or who've changed their minds. We might do a show of hands. That would be interesting, see if anyone's changed their mind. It would. I mean, we both met the Remain and our people and um, people are changing their minds. And, yeah, when we talk about remaining, when I talk about remaining, I am not being glib, like you say. It's just that Brexit is going to hurt an awful lot of the people. Who voted for it because it is the wealth gap and the inequality and the graphs that that show how that increased um, since the 80s are truly shocking and leaving the EU is not going to help anyone who's being hurt by that. Now aside from that I am absolutely certain there is a tranche of leavers who believe in their heart that nothing matters other than being um, a separate UK again. There are also people who have investments in America and who want to deal with America more than Europe and they don't care if the rest 
of the country suffers. So those people, I respectfully agree to disagree. Um, and I think some people in that group are very selfish. But I also think there are a lot of people who, as you say, are voting or supporting leave because they hurt. And leaving the EU is not going to help that. And I don't know how to say that in any, you know, I did James Whale the other evening. Ooh, stop being patronising, Judith. Ooh, you're being so... No, I'm not being patronising. I'm just calling out how I see it. We're going to go into a recession and the people at the, uh, who've got the least money at the moment are going to get the most Well, that's hurt. what I've always said. The people who are going to be most affected by Brexit are the people who can least afford it. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's really why we're here. That is why we're fighting. And that's why we're trying to stop it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, watch this space. Watch Our this lives space. get more and more surreal yes. uh, with every week that passes. Yes. And um, you can follow it all on our social media. It's been really nice to talk to you. Um, that's probably enough for this week. That's probably enough, um, yes. So um, follow us on Twitter at uh, Caroline Voden or Judith Bunting LD. Yep. On Facebook, we are Caroline Verden MEP yeah. and Judith Bunting MEP. And on Instagram, I can now tell you definitively, I am Judith underscore Bunting. I'm just Caroline Verden everywhere. And But there's also Lib Dem MEPs on Twitter, which yes. is the whole group. And which is very good. I like the Lib Dem MEPs feed. Yes, so you can see yeah. tweets from all of us and see what we're getting up to as a group. And, um, and that's quite fun. Yeah. And again, write to us, ask us questions, prod us, provoke us. We welcome it. Yeah. We'd okay. like to hear from you. Okay. Thanks for listening.